0: Yes, Lord, that's what we desire to do this morning, is to behold you. Lord, you you are the one that we long to see, that we need to see. You are the one that satisfies. Lord, you you are the vision that we crave. You are the one that we were created for. And so, Lord, we, we look to you this morning. We ask you, Lord, for your grace to see, to open the eyes of our hearts, to see Wonderful things about you. Lord, as we read your word, we pray that we would hear from you and that you would show us things, Lord, that would sustain us and strengthen us and thrill our souls, we pray. Lord, we ask this of you because we we know that you're gracious and you're good. And you tell us to seek you, you, you tell us to ask you for good things. You are a father who knows how to give good gifts to your children. So we come this morning humbly, but boldly asking, asking for you to come and to minister to us now, we pray. Lord, as we read your word, would you do in us necessary things? Lord, as we we sit under the preaching of your word, I pray that you'd help me to be faithful, to teach what your word says. Uh, And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would have his way in us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks so much to the worship team this morning. Let's just show them our appreciation for their ministry to us. Well, before I preach this morning, and I will do that, it's the, my favorite thing to do. Uh, I do want to just take a a few moments to uh, say a couple other things. Mainly, I want to thank you. Uh, first of all, thanks for the, the celebration for last Sunday. That was, that was just great. It was great to be able, I mean, never mind the occasion, it was just nice to see each other and spend some time together outside in the great outdoors. The Lord gave us a beautiful day, and, and um, I have to say, the coffee cart was a really nice touch too. I had more than one item from that cart. I know many of you did too. It's okay. It was all inclusive. But um, thank you for that. Thank you to the people who organized it. Um, And um, thanks for those of you who were able to come. And some of you just came for that. We're grateful to be able to see you, Leanne and I, and our kids. Uh, That was very special. Also want to just thank you too for the generous gift that was uh, given to us. Uh, last Sunday, you're probably like, what'd you get? What'd you get? So there were some gift cards in there and a really nice note as well. So uh, thank you so much for that generous gift that was presented to us by Sue on behalf of all of you. Just want to also acknowledge, too, that there's, there's many of you who have um, been reaching out to us over the last few weeks personally. And uh, I mean more of you than I can count. Probably most of you. And uh, that's, that's just so meaningful to us. Thank you for that, for phone calls and letters and cards and emails and text messages and even some in-person visits uh, and messages of other, of other kinds. Thank you for that. Just, you've been so gracious, uh, so encouraging and affirming in your words, um, so we, anyway, this is just really meaningful to us. So we appreciate that. And we haven't. Some of you have written to us. We haven't got back to you. We probably look like jerks, whatever. We just, we're, we are, uh, take it as a sign of the fact that uh, there's many who are uh, reached out to us. And just want to acknowledge that we've heard from you, and your, uh, your words to us are heartfelt, and uh, appreciated. I think the main thing, though, that I want to thank you for is the great honor of serving as your lead pastor for nine years. It's a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater. And you don't have to be a pastor to serve him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're on (laughs) for serving him. But it's not lost on me that being a pastor and being a pastor in this church is, has been, an enormous privilege. It's a sacred trust that you've entrusted to me. It's a high honor that you've given to me. And I don't take that for granted. I don't know what you were thinking when you invited me here, but I'm really glad that you did. Uh, you have been a great blessing to us, to our family, this, this church, as I trust that we've been a blessing to you. I do have a great deal of confidence in the Lord regarding the future of Arendelle. God has been faithful here to this church and in this church and through this church since long before I was even born. And we know that the Lord will continue. Because he's faithful. He, he will continue to guide you and he will provide for you as you pursue Christ together under his lordship. As you pursue him and you submit to his lordship, he will be faithful to you. Just as you've seen over these many decades and I have seen over these few years, the Lord is faithful and he is good. And so I have great confidence in the future of this church. I also just want to just acknowledge, too, some of the the folks that I've worked with. I'm not going to name names because I I will invariably leave somebody out and cause unintentional grief. But um, I do want to acknowledge the the great joy of serving with the elders I've served with here in this church, our dedicated deacons, our amazing ministry leaders, and the staff just a special joy. Some of those staff members have been long-standing staff members, and that's just a real, a real pleasure. And I do, there was one name I'm going to mention. It's just, I'm just grateful to the Lord for sending Pastor Nick and Emily into the life of this church when he did. I have great confidence in Nick, not because I think Nick is a super guy, although I do think he is a super guy, but because of the evidence of God's grace in his life, and I think that in this next chapter, as he assumes the mantle, as he takes on that responsibility of interim lead pastor, that you will, uh, you will be impressed by God's gracious working in him and through him. Nick has gifts and strengths that I don't have, and you will benefit from that. And um, I am just excited to see what God does in your lives together, but also how he works uh, in this, this next season in this church. Uh, we have prayed for you, we will pray for you, and we'll pray for you as you take on this role, um, but we do it with confidence and joy because of the Lord and his goodness and his faithfulness. Now, I've already prayed just a moment ago, but I do just want to pray. It's just going to help me sort of reset and get ready to to preach, and um, we'll get open God's word. My favorite thing to do, I love visiting, I, I enjoy counseling, I... I enjoy leading. There's lots of things in church ministry I love to do. But the one thing that I believe I'm called to do that I really love to do is to preach. And so um, I'm really honored to be able to preach one more sermon to you as your lead pastor. And so let me just pray for God's help and strength as we do that. Will you pray with me? So Father, as we open up your word, Lord, we acknowledge it as your word. And it's a sacred trust, not only for me to have been in this role, but to even today to open up your word and to teach it, to preach it. Father, I pray for the filling of your spirit and that you would accomplish this morning all that you desire, that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could even imagine or even ask you to do. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is an emotional week here at Arendelle Bible Chapel. I think that's probably an understatement. It's an emotional week for our church. I think firstly, on my mind, is because on Wednesday of this week, the longest standing member of our church, Dr. Edwin Ricks, went home to be with the Lord. This is a huge loss for our church. He was dearly loved. And love the people in this assembly. And of course, so we, it's a huge loss for him, especially for we think of his, his family. We think of um, this morning, Michael and Brenda are on our minds and on our hearts. Um, we rejoice that Edwin's been promoted to glory. And so we, we grieve, we grieve with hope. But at the same time, there is I mean, we're saddened by this. It's a, it's a huge loss. our church. So, I mean, that that on its own is an emotional thing. Obviously, too, you add to that the reality, this is my last Sunday, and um, quite apart from it being me, anytime a church, a a senior leader, a lead pastor, uh, moves on from a church, that's an emotional thing, and there is a mix. There's a, a huge mix of emotions around that. I have a mix of emotions, too, and I've shared that with many of you. So we've got, we've got a senior saint promoted to glory, we've got a lead pastor moving on, and this is all on top of all the other things you've got going on in your life, right? I mean, these aren't the only two things that are happening. We've got, you've got things going on in your life that are just part of the realities of living for Jesus in this world. There's, there's spiritual struggles that you are uh, encountering, there's, there's family pain that you are enduring, there's satanic opposition around you, there's, there's practical and personal needs that are just, just very real to you right now, and, and you combine all these things together, and you have to say it's an emotional time is a bit of an understatement. You combine these together, it can begin to feel like it's all just a bit too much. It can be quite depleting, even overwhelming. It's for these reasons that I think that our scripture text today is incredibly timely, because it, it's, it does for us. I think the one thing that we need, it's, it is, I think, an answer to Aaron's prayer just a few moments ago when she led us in prayer here, where she asked that the Lord would, would fix our focus on him, that he would show himself to us. Well, this text is a revelation of Jesus to us, showing us something of his glory, of his beauty, moving us, is designed to move us to rejoice in Him. The one thing we need is we need to see Jesus. We need Jesus. And so our scripture text today, that's what it is, that's what it's for, that's what it does, and I want you to see it with me. Would you turn to Revelation chapter 1? The book of Revelation chapter 1, and our focus this morning will be especially on verses 5, 6, and 7, but just for context, we'll read... From verses 4 to 8. Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 to 8. The title of my sermon is Rejoicing in Christ. And that's what I want to do with you this morning is to rejoice in Him, to get Jesus in our focus. Um, The series we've been working on this month, we've just called it Exalting in the Greatness and Goodness of God. And in this series, we've been looking at some New Testament doxologies. Remember what doxologies are, right? They are ascriptions of praise to God. Only our text today is particularly an ascription of praise to Christ. It's focused on Jesus. And you'll, you'll see what I mean as we read it. Now as we read, we're going to be looking for, I'm going to highlight for you four reasons that John, the author here, gives us to rejoice in Christ. So let's, let's read the text, we'll walk through it, and we'll see, see if you can see some reasons As we read, to rejoice in Christ. In fact, you may see some reasons that I don't even mention this morning. So you want to make a note of that too. But let's read and be watching for reasons to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, these, these seven churches, sorry, just to pause for a second. These seven churches are real historical churches. But as we read about them in the book of Revelation, we can see that what's said about them is applicable to to all churches. And so these are the churches that he's referring to. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, this modern-day Turkey. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God, the Eternal One. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, I spent a lot of time this week trying to figure out what the seven spirits are. Here's my conclusion. I'm not 100% sure, but my, my position is that it's in reference to the Holy Spirit. It's Talking about the Holy Spirit, seven, the number seven is often the number of perfection. We see it in Revelation, repeat it again, and I, I think that it's... It's in reference to the Holy Spirit. So grace and peace, grace to you, and peace from him who was and who, from who, who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Why is he called the firstborn from the dead? because he arose from the dead right you say well wasn't lazarus raised before jesus and the other, the little girl that he raised yeah but he was the first to be raised from the dead never to die again to have this glorified body which by the way he's going to give to you in a coming day isn't that exciting so he's jesus christ he's the faithful witness because he, he represents god perfectly because he is himself god He's the firstborn from the dead, and notice, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. So he's the one enthroned. There's big names in politics and in in world government today, but over and above them all is Jesus. Jesus. He rules over them all. Now now we're getting into the doxology, okay? Now be watching. You may, you're like, I'm already writing down things to rejoice in about Jesus. That's great. You make your list. But I got four things here that is in this doxology, okay? So look at verse, the middle of verse 5. It's a new paragraph of my Bible that says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and... Made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes. Of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen then verse 8 i am the alpha and the omega if the bible was originally written in english what would it say i am the a and the z right i'm the beginning and the end and all the letters in between in other words, it's a reference to, his, to God's sovereignty and supremacy over all things in all times. Notice on the back of the auditorium up above there, if you're under the overhang, you can't see it. You'll have to check it out after. But see that thing up there? In my nine years here, I can't tell you how many times people have stopped me and asked me, what is that thing up there? It's the alpha and the omega. The A and the Z. The beginning and the end. It's in the ancient language, the first letter and the last letter. It's a reminder of God that he reigns supreme. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen is not in the scripture here at this point, but I want to say it. Amen. The focus in this doxology is on Jesus. And I said to you, there's, there's four reasons that I see here to rejoice in him that I want to share with you. The first one is this. We're called to rejoice in Christ because of his affections toward us. His affections toward us. Notice in verse, the middle of verse 5, it's a new paragraph there, says to him who what? To him who loves us. To him who loves us. When you were, some of you who grew up in church, those of you who, hands up if you grew up in church, you at home online, put your hand up if you grew up in church. You grew up in church, did you sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know? Did you sing that? How many of you sang that song? All right, many of you here, it's almost like you all grew up singing that song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Where does the Bible tell me this? Well, it tells me right here in this text, to him who loves us. He loves you. He's got affections for you, to him who loves us. Jesus has had affections for us in the past, particularly on the cross. He demonstrates his love for us. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Paul talking there about the cross of Christ. Jesus said himself in John 15 and 13, he says, greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. And did Jesus lay down his life for his friends? You bet he did. He laid his life down sacrificially, dying on the cross for our sins. says to him who loved us. He loved us in the past. This text says that he has affections for us now in the present. He's had affections for us in the past on the cross. He has affections for us now continuing, ongoing in the present. Notice it is in the present tense. To him who loves us, it's active, it's ongoing. He he loves us. See, when you love people, you remind them that you love them. And that's what God does repeatedly. We're reminded, believers are repeatedly reminded about the special love that God has for us. And here, the focus is on Jesus that Jesus does love you, love you. This you do know because the Bible tells you so. I think this, is important, uh, this was important for John's original readers, the original readers of, of Revelation, because they were going through some serious troubles. They had some serious trials they were facing. And Revelation is written, at least in part, to encourage and, and, and strengthen believers to keep pressing on for Jesus. And so you notice right, out of the, right at the beginning of the book, it's a very Godward book. And here in that Godward look, the focus is on Jesus and his love. One of the things that happens when we go through hard times is we can sometimes begin to wonder if God really loves us. Of course, being good church-going people like you are, you don't say it out loud, I don't really think the Lord loves me, but we honestly, many of us, question it in our own minds because we say things sometimes like, God, God, are you there? God, do you, do you, see? Do you not see what's going on here? God, do you not hear me? God, do you care? What, what are those questions? It's, we're, we're wondering about the Lord's love for us. And so wonderfully the Lord, I mean, He shows us He loves us and how He's rescued us. And He tells us He loves us again and again. And here in this text, this repeated emphasis, that, that friends, you were you are loved. Do you notice something that I often what do I often call you when I'm preaching? Do you notice? What do I call you all the time? Loved ones. <laughs> Loved ones, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, yeah, I noticed that. I'm not saying that because I'm a nice guy, okay? I often am a nice guy, I think. But I'm calling it. But I'm calling you loved ones because you're loved by God. You're loved by Jesus just repeatedly reminding you you're loved you say well don't you love me yeah of course i I do i'm your brother in christ i love you just like you love me but but the reality is there's a greater love there's an awesome love there's an eternal love with which you are loved in the past in the present and all through eternity the love of jesus that is poured out on his people that he has for you and i would just give you this challenge friends loved ones (laughs) That you be very intentional about making God's Word a primary resource for you remembering and knowing and experiencing the love of God. Because it's in the scriptures where we see the love of Jesus for us, mainly in the cross and his cross sacrifice for us, but also in reminders like this that he loves us. Go to the scriptures to be reminded when you're in those seasons of wondering, God, are you there? God, do you care when you're you're aching, when you're craving for, for being reminded and knowing that Jesus loves you? Remember the song, Jesus loves me, this I know for the... Bible tells me so. Your, maybe your mom told you that Jesus loves you. Maybe your pastor tells you that Jesus loves you. But the most important person to hear it from is Jesus, that he loves you. And the fact that he loves us is a wonderful cause for rejoicing, is it not? I mean, is there a greater reason to rejoice this morning outside of the fact that Jesus loves us? He loves you. And he's demonstrated it to you. If you are in Christ, if you're trusting in him, You've got this particular, special, ongoing love from Jesus. We are called to rejoice in Christ, firstly, because of his affections for us, for you. That's the first reason to rejoice this morning. Rejoice in that. But there's, i got three more. The second reason to rejoice in Christ that I see is in this next phrase. It says, to him who loves us and has freed us From our sins by his blood. In other words, by his death. What's he done by his blood, by his death? He has freed us from our sins. We are called to rejoice in Christ because of his affections toward us. Secondly, we're called to rejoice in Christ because of his accomplishment for us. He's accomplished some some things for us, many things. In particular, what John reminds us of here is that he's freed us from our sins. By his blood. He's accomplished something for us. He's set us free. It's a reminder here, an implicit reminder that once we were not free. Once we were in bondage to sin. Once we were under the power of sin. Jesus said in John 8 and 34, He said, Everyone who practices sin is a slave. In other words, we're owned by it, we're ruled by it, we're controlled by it, we're held captive by it. I'd suggest to you that people are enslaved by sin, particularly in two ways. People are firstly enslaved to the penalty of sin. That is that sin damns us and it condemns us before a holy God. We're tempted certain times and in certain seasons to think that we're not all that sinful. Just ask the people closest to you, though, in an honest moment, and they'll remind you, oh, you're sinful. The Bible reminds us that we're sinful. I mean, Paul, I mean, he lays it out right right out cold, right? He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John 3 and 36 says, Whoever does not obey the Son or whoever sins shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, it's not just a character flaw that we have that we are sinners, but there's a a spiritual reality that we stand under the wrath of God. Ezekiel the prophet puts puts it in very stark terms when he says, The soul that sins shall die. You can think yourself free, you can think yourself to be in a good place apart from Jesus Christ, you can look at the gospel message and at uh, the Christian faith and say, well, that seems binding and limiting, I would prefer my kind of freedom. You can think that, but the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to people that ends in death. People are enslaved to the penalty of sin. Here's the thing. Is that as a sinner, we stand condemned before a holy God. And here's the frightening thing. There's nothing we can do to fix it. Nothing. So say, well, I, I can try to be a better person, can't I? Yeah, you can try that, but that won't work. That won't fix the problem. You may be more personable and more likable to people around you, but it doesn't rectify the issue that We've sinned, and we are in bondage under the penalty of sin. We're held captive. It's it's like we're the captive held by terrorists in the middle of nowhere, And and our government does not negotiate with terrorists. And our family, as much as they would want to rescue us, don't have the ransom money. They don't even know where we are. There's nobody coming. And we can scream at the top of our lungs, let me out. But there's no one who hears us. And there's no one who comes that is our spiritual condition except for jesus except for jesus because he hears us and he sees us and he's made a way for us he's the one that's come and he's paid the ransom price Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the penalty to set us free from our sin. He's the one that frees us from the penalty of sin. How does he do that? How does he do that? He says in the text here, by his blood, by his death. He sets us free from bondage to the penalty of sin. The other way that we are enslaved to sin is to the power of sin. It's got control over us. There's this devastating power that imprisons us. James says this, James 1 and 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James is alluding here to the the dominance of sin in our lives that produces desires to keep on sinning, that keeps us from desiring Jesus, keeps us from humbling ourselves before him, even blinds us to his beauty. And so many do feel themselves free. I'm free to choose to do what I want to do, but that's not true freedom. One pastor illustrated this way, and I found it helpful. It's like the skydiver who's plummeting from the plane with the parachute on his back. And he feels in that free fall and the wind and the view, he feels tremendous freedom. And he can shout at the top of his lungs, I'm free! But what he doesn't know is that his parachute is defective. And he'll pull the cord and it won't deploy. And in a few moments, he's going to crash into the earth question for you. Is he really free? No, he's not. But that's the quote-unquote freedom that many people walk in today. Under the power of sin, and they, uh, they're blinded to the beauty of Jesus and, and, and bound in their own desires, not desiring him, but desiring to keep on going their own way. And many of you can testify, I was there, I remember being there in my life, but then something happened. What happened to you? You heard the truth, you heard the gospel, and by the grace of God, something happened in you. God granted you repentance, He granted you faith, and you trusted in Jesus, and you turned to Him, and you, you saw and you understood that He died to pay not only for the penalty of my sins, but He died to free me from sin, that I'm free to live for Him and, and free to live forever. And the reality is, is that through Jesus, through His death, He's purchased for you real, bona fide freedom, the kind of freedom where He gives you a new heart to, to desire what He desires, a new heart to love Him like you could never before. He opens your eyes to to see things that you couldn't see. He he gives you you a purpose to live for him. It's not a perfect life. You still face temptations. But now that you have Jesus, it's a changed life, radically. And many of you can testify to that today, can't you? Why has that happened? How did you get here? You got here because of Jesus. And he's purchased you this freedom. Freedom. Freedom from sin, from its penalty and its power, is not something we can conjure on our own, but is given to us by Jesus. And that's why he died, to set you free. To him who loves us and has what has freed us. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. There's two reasons we're called to rejoice in Jesus. Third, we're called to rejoice in Christ because of the assignment he gives us. The assignment he gives us. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the purpose that we have in the Lord. And, And here we're reminded of that, aren't we? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. He's done something with us. He's made us a kingdom. Us as believers, we are part of his kingdom, where he rules, and because of his work in us, we gladly serve under his kingship. And as part of his kingdom, our role is that of priests. Do you see that in the text? Do you see that in verse 6? He's made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He's made us priests. Now, I I wonder what comes in your mind when you hear the word priest? My guess is what comes in your mind is an image that is not what the author means. When I think of a priest, I think of robes. I think of ceremony. I think of uh, religious rites. And I'm not saying that it's all bad. I'm just saying that's what comes into my mind when I think of a priest. That's not what comes into John's mind when he's writing this. When he thinks of a priest, he thinks of one who serves God by representing God before the people. He thinks of one who who is not only an ambassador for God, would be another parallel picture. Someone who represents God before the people. That's what a priest does. They represent God before the people, represent people before God. Now this is reflective of our assignment because this is what we're, we're called to do. We, we are, as priests, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a priest, and you are entrusted with God's message, you're entrusted with a great treasure. Did you know this, that, that as a priest, as a follower of Jesus, you are, you are a priest Okay, get used to that. you're a priest. And you are in that role, entrusted with a great treasure. Paul referred to it as a treasure. He said we hold this treasure in jars of clay, the jars of clay in terms of our bodies. We are frail and weak, but we've got this treasure that's given to us that's by, by God. What's the treasure? The treasure is the gospel. It's the good news. The Holy Spirit is a treasure. Knowing Jesus is a the treasure. There's many things that are treasured, but in this context, it's, it's the gospel. It's the, the good news about Jesus. We are entrusted with a mission Of sharing with people the best news that there is in all the world, that there's life to be had, abundant life. It's a great, great treasure. Loved one, do you have any sense this morning, do we have any sense of the high honor, the high privilege that's ours to be priests for the Lord Jesus Christ, who represent him in this world? What an awesome privilege. We have a great treasure with which we're entrusted. A colleague of mine that I went to school with was telling me one time that he was doing some academic research on Jonathan Edwards, the the theologian Jonathan Edwards. If you're not familiar with that name, um, Edwards was, I mean, he was a giant in Christian history, 18th century pastor and revivalist preacher and really a great thinker. I think it's, Edwards is probably... Arguably, the greatest mind that America ever saw. Edwards was a prolific writer, and a Yale University is where many of his original writings are housed. And this, this friend of mine was doing some research and was granted access to go into this secret room, this uh, environmentally controlled room, and put on white gloves and to go over and physically handle these original documents that were written out by Jonathan Edwards. Now, the geek that I am, I'm like, that's awesome. It's like, you, you got to handle, like, just let me just touch you and I won't wash my hands. You, you handle Jonathan Edwards' stuff. I mean, that's amazing. He was entrusted with a great treasure Well, I think about this text, and I think you and I, we're entrusted with an even greater treasure. The gospel of Jesus. You don't have to put on white gloves to handle it, but to be willing to serve, even willing to suffer. We're priests. Jesus has given us a great assignment, and we ought to rejoice in that. This is part of the worship that he's made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, Do we have any idea this morning the great treasure with which we are entrusted? Oh, loved ones, let us shake off our sleepiness. Let's shake off our sleepiness. Let's let's come out of the cave. Let's uh, what is it, what do you call it when a bear goes to sleep for the for the wintertime? Hibernating, right? That's where I didn't write it down and it was just lost on me. Hibernating. Have you been hibernating? Hibernation is over. You've got a purpose to get out of bed tomorrow morning. You've got a reason to live. You've got a reason to build relationships. You've got a reason to go to work. You are called by the king of all kings to be a priest for him. You're entrusted with a great treasure. Let this reminder energize you. Your life has meaning and purpose. There's a point to it. To get out of bed and to be ready to adjust your posture in life you all know that i love toby mack right toby mack if you haven't listened to toby mack then i don't know i don't know what to say to you you might not be a christian i'm just kidding he's got this great song called edge of my seat and when we see him in concert he gives this little illustration and i'll just use the stage he says sometimes our posture in life is we kind of sit back like this and we have this attitude like I have to go work at camp this week. I have to get the kids to school and make their lunches and get them to their swim lessons. And I, I have to go to work. I have to evangelize. I gotta go to church. Is that your posture in life? I just gotta do this. There's another posture, he says. This is Toby Mack. This isn't me. This is Toby Mack. The other posture is to live like, like this. On the edge of your seat. I get to go into the world today as an ambassador for Jesus. I get to go to camp today, to, this week, to, to tell them about the Lord and to show the love of Christ. I get to serve my family today. I get to live in this neighborhood as an ambassador for Christ. I get to see what God is going to do today in me and through me and for me for his glory. I get to do it. So he's got this song. It got you, on the, you got me on the edge of my seat. Live in life, not back here like this. Jesus, come, please, on the edge of my seat, looking to see what God will do. This is what Jesus has given you. This is what we're called to. It's a reason to rejoice for the assignment that he has given us to be priests unto him. Do you get a sense of that? What's your posture going to be tomorrow? What's it going to be? Get a little bit up on the edge of your seat to see what God will do. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to have that posture. Forgive me. I've been sitting back with my arms folded and grumpy and complaining. It's understandable. There's lots of things to be grumpy and complaining about. But hey, what, what if we just get a little to the edge of our seat? We're called to rejoice because he's given us an edge of our seat to sit on and to see. What he will do. Okay, so three things. Recall to rejoice in Christ because of his affections toward us. His it's on the screen. This is handy now too. I don't have to shuffle back through my notes when I draw blanks like I do all the time. His affections toward us, his what? His accomplishment for us, his assignment he give the assignment he gives us. Now fourthly, recall to rejoice in Christ because of his anticipated return his anticipated return you can't read revelation without thinking to yourself we should anticipate his return look at verse 7 behold what is what is behold that word what's that doing there it's getting our attention right when you say behold nobody really says behold but when you read behold it means "Hey, hey listen pay attention look up here behold behold what he is coming. He's coming with the clouds. I don't think it means a cloudy day or storm clouds, but the clouds in Scripture is the Shekinah glory of God. As Christ ascended in a cloud, a cloud of glory, He will return. He's coming with the clouds. i talking about His glorious return. He is re- coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Do you see that Jesus is coming? It's to be anticipated. He's, he's going to return. And, and I mean, we, we could say a lot about the return of Jesus. We could preach a whole sermon on the return of Jesus. And we could talk about the fact that his return is going to be real. Like it's really actually going to happen. He's really going to return. Acts 1.11, the angel said, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. He's, he's going to come back. So, he just as he really was born and lived the sinless life and died on the cross and was buried and resurrection, resurrected, just as all those things really happen and we believe they really happen, so also he really ascended into heaven. And so also he's going to return one day, really, truly. We, we could talk about the reality that his, his return will be physical. Jesus will physically, really come back and he will reign and rule and we can even have a great little series on working out and, you know, how, how, what the order of all those things is going to be. I'm not going to do that this morning. I don't have time, but, but we can talk about the reality and the physicality of his return. We can talk about the suddenness of his return. Jesus himself said, Luke 12 and 40, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect sudden right when you don't expect something it's like, whoa you're here already oh i mean i knew you were coming but ah now you're here that's what it's gonna be like suddenly he's gonna come many have predicted when jesus would come but they've got one thing they've got all of them have one thing in common they're all wrong right because nobody knows god knows but jesus says when he comes it's going to be like in the days of noah for as were in the days of Noah, Matthew 24, so will, the coming of the Son of Man, will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage, you say, what's wrong with that? Nothing. It's just that they're just living their lives not caring about God and ignoring Him. They did all that until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware, Jesus says, until the flood came. And swept them all away. So it will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be sudden. Now you say, now that kind of puts a chill on things, doesn't it? Well, there's two sides here that I want to emphasize for you about the return of Jesus. For believers. Are you a believer? For believers in Jesus. If you're trusting in Jesus. The return of Christ will be glorious. It'll be glorious. Your faith will be sight. Your sufferings for Jesus will all be vindicated. There'll be no more waiting. There'll be no more longing. There'll be no more struggling. You'll be like him because you'll see him as he is. And it's important, friends, that we live our lives in anticipation of his return. Faithful Christians have their eyes on the future. And the return of Jesus, because it's going to be glorious. Can't can't you just wait? Just can't wait for that day when Jesus will come again. For those who love and follow Jesus, the return of Christ will be glorious. But for those who do not love and follow Jesus, for unbelievers, John says here in this text that the return of Jesus will not be glorious, but it will be grievous. Grievous. Do you notice how, he describes, notice how he describes people's response to the return of Jesus? Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. We can think of those maybe who crucified him. Or how about those who persecute his people? Or belittle his people? Or even just belittle him and ignore him and his lordship? Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And notice, all the tribes of the, of the earth will wail on account of him. They will wail, they will mourn, they will grieve loudly on account of him. What does that mean? It means they won't be happy to see him. It will be a, a sorrowful occasion. Why? Because when Christ returns, for the believer it will be vindication and victory. But for those who reject him, there will be separation and judgment. Let me illustrate it for you this way. And this isn't the first time you've heard me use this illustration, as is the case I know with many of my illustrations. On the first Palm Sunday, Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. And you Bible experts, think through the animal kingdom what was Jesus riding when he came into, on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem? One week before his crucifixion, he was riding something. Was he riding a peacock or an ostrich? What was he riding? A donkey. a donkey. He was riding, how many of you knew that? He was riding a donkey. All right, good. So you get the point for your team. He was riding a donkey. donkey. Now, a baby donkey. That's right, a baby donkey. And I think, no, why a donkey? Well, I don't know. Maybe there weren't many animals around. No, no, it was very intentional. You see, in the ancient Near East, a donkey is a symbol of peace. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, the first day of Holy Week, he came humbly with a peace-loving approach. Because, you see, Jesus came into the world to make peace between sinful people and God. That's where we are right now. We're in a season where Christ has come in peace, to offer peace between you and God. And there's, you can have a peace treaty with God. And the terms of the treaty is that you would lay down your rebellion and humble yourself before Jesus, repenting of your sins, and looking to Jesus alone, by faith alone, as the means of your forgiveness and peace with God. And if you do that, and many of you have, then you will have peace with God now, and forever on palm sunday jesus came riding a donkey a symbol of peace in the end john says in revelation 19 verse 11 when jesus returns he presents jesus as riding an animal again but a different animal on palm sunday jesus came into jerusalem riding a donkey but in the end in revelation 19:11 jesus is not riding a donkey what animal is he riding when he comes back? A horse. He's riding a horse. John, Revelation 19:11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. What's the symbol of the horse? It's a symbol of war. It's a symbol of judgment. Judgment against who? Against all who do not obey his gospel, but choose to persist in their own way in rebellion against the one true sovereign God. You see what I mean when I say, for unbelievers, the return of Christ will be grievous. There's many today publishing books under the umbrella of Christianity who have great influence, who would want to push this aside and say you know what actually in the end everybody's saved everybody gets saved in the end i would submit to you loved ones that you cannot honestly read the book of revelation even our passage this morning and conclude that universalism is a myth the truth is is that it will be glorious for some and grievous for many question when jesus returns what will it be for you I want you to know this morning that it can be glorious, but you must turn to him. And I'd invite you to do it, to turn to him, to trust in him. And my dear friend, you who are trusting in Jesus, get ready, because it's coming. We're one day closer to seeing him. Not merely with the eyes of our hearts as I trust we're seeing him today, with the eyes in your head, and what a day that's going to be. Loved ones, we're called to rejoice in Christ for four reasons here. Do you remember what they are? Because of his affections toward us, his accomplishment for us, that he's freed us from sin, the assignment he gives us, and his anticipated return. All of these things are causes for us to rejoice in him. Now, pastoral questions. What do you think would be a fitting response to reading a passage like this? I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the most fitting response that we could have would be to worship Jesus, to, to worship him, to, in, in view of these things, to exalt in him, to rejoice in him. And So what I want to do with you this morning as we close is to worship Jesus in the way that he's prescribed for us through the Lord's Supper. As we are just going to transition now into communion, we are going to do something that Jesus has called us to do that is an act of worship. And it reminds us of the means by which He has secured for us all of these blessings and the certainty of the future through his death on the cross. For those of you here in the room, I just invite you to take with me, take with me, to join with me in this. And what we're going to do is is I'm going to just pray, first of all, and I'm going to pray and and give thanks for the, the symbol of uh, for, for the bread, which is a symbol of the death of Jesus, the, his body that was given, I should say, on the cross for our sin. So I'll pray and give thanks for that, then we'll eat that together. And then I'm going to pray again, and I'm going to give thanks to Jesus for his death on the cross, particularly symbolized in his blood, his blood that was shed. That's right in our text today, right? He's freed us from our sins by his blood, by his death on the cross. And as we partake of this this morning, what we're doing is this. We are, we are proclaiming by faith the fact that Jesus died for me. He died for us. We're proclaiming that. If you're not trusting in Jesus today, if you don't know him as your personal Savior, I would, I would ask you to actually not participate with us. I'd encourage you to observe and to reflect upon what it is you've heard and what it is you're seeing. Because what you're seeing is a visible proclamation of the greatest news you'll ever hear. That you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And it would be, I can't think of a better way to close out my ministry here than to be able to lead you into a relationship with Jesus. I'd love to talk with you, to pray with you after the service. There's others here who would be glad to do it. If you're watching at home. We'd love to hear from you. Just, just go to our website, arendale.org, scroll to the bottom of the page. There's an easy-to-use form there for you to use. Just say, I want to know more about knowing Jesus. I need this Jesus. Yes. And we will get in touch with you and help you to know and learn more about him. So if you don't know him, we just ask you to observe. But if you do know him, then will you join me now in prayer? Lord Jesus, we look to you today and ask you to refresh our joy in you as we partake now with thanksgiving of this emblem the bread reminds us of you you your physical body that you gave on the cross for our sins we eat this now in worship of you together amen Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, we look to you this morning in faith. We look to you this morning from a place of victory that you've secured for us. We look to you this morning, standing forgiven and free from our sin, because of what you have accomplished for us. Thank you, Lord, for what this cup represents a new covenant, a promise from God of salvation, of eternal life through Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen.